0: M 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast, with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
1: Welcome to Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, science advisor Matt Moniz, and the silent assassin Matt Costa are along as well. We have a a little bit of a somber show for you tonight. Um, We're sad to report for those who hadn't heard that Ed Warren, one half of the famous Ed and Lorraine Warren Paranormal Investigative Team uh, has passed away on Wednesday at about noontime uh, at home uh, with uh, Lorraine by his side. Uh, He was 79 years old. He was actually uh, a couple of weeks away from his 80th birthday. He would have turned 80 on September 7th and uh, after 61 years of marriage uh, and almost as many years as investigating the paranormal, the the Warren tandem is, is no longer. Uh, So we were able to talk with John Zaffis, uh, who is a famous paranormal investigator in his own right. John is the nephew of Ed and Lorraine Warren, and it was actually Ed Warren who trained him not only about investigating ghosts and poltergeist activity, but he's the one who basically taught him how to go up against the demonic. Those of you who heard our earlier episode with John Zaffis, uh, I think back in March, remember some of the stories that he shared with us, uh, not only of investigating and uh and exercising some of these demonica entities but also the information that he shared with us about ed warren and what an influence he was when i heard about his passing i got in touch with john and i asked him if he would like to come on the show i i understood that it was kind of a rough time for his family and that he would have a lot of uh, calls coming in and just people to talk with and meet with and just a lot of things to handle so I I wanted to give him the opportunity, if he felt he needed it, to share some of his remembrances of Ed Warren with the Spooky South Coast audience, you know, because it's cathartic sometimes when when somebody passes away to remember some of the good things. I mentioned to John uh, when I contacted him that, you know, maybe now Ed has taught us everything that he has to teach us from this realm and that maybe now future uh, lessons will be learned from him from the other side. So, I mean, if... Everybody has their different beliefs in in what the paranormal are, what happens to us when we pass on, but uh, if you do have that belief that a soul can continue to watch over and and guide the hands of those who are still left behind, I'd I'd like to think that Ed Warren is somebody who will hold a guiding hand over these other investigators, as he had uh, during his time here on Earth. Uh, We have here the, the actual obituary written by Carolyn Moreau of the Hartford Current. Uh, Ed Warren, who along with his wife pursued the unusual career of ghost hunter and whose cases included what would become the basis for the Amityville horror, died Wednesday at his home in Monroe. He was 79. And uh, just as an aside, he died about noontime uh, yesterday afternoon, and the word got out fairly quickly because of how close a lot of these investigators are with John Zaffis and with the Warrens. Uh, so, but this was the only newspaper I could find that actually had a, a significant obituary on Ed Warren. Warren firmly believed in ghosts, demons, and otherworldly creatures, and in helping people deal with these unwanted visitations. He would answer the phone at all hours to counsel panicked homeowners from across the country who couldn't find anyone else to advise them when their furniture started flying. Uh, He is survived by his wife, Lorraine, a daughter, Judy Sparrow, two grandchildren, and four great-grandchildren. During their 61-year marriage and partnership, the Warrens investigated more than 10,000 suspected hauntings in the U.S. and abroad in Japan, Australia, and Europe. They believed they were expelling ghosts who stubbornly remained earthbound and evil spirits from another world who had never been alive. While the Warrens didn't ask for compensation for their ghost hunting, they made a living on the college lecture circuit talking about the supernatural. Their most famous investigation and most requested lecture was reported psychic disturbances at a house in Amityville, New York, where a family was brutally murdered in 1974. The Warrens were consultants for the movie The Amityville Horror. They wrote ten books on the supernatural. Two of those books were made into TV movies The Demon Murder Case and The Haunted. Ed Warren grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, in a home he believed was haunted. And we'll talk with John Zaffis a little bit later in the show about that, about some of the experiences that Ed Warren had growing up. Uh, He was also a, a religious demonologist and an expert on satanic cults. When he wasn't investigating the paranormal, Warren liked visiting forests and other natural places and collecting rocks and gems. In the past five years, poor health had kept Warren housebound. In March 2001, he had gotten up at 2 a.m. to let the cat in and collapsed on the floor. Paramedics restarted his heart. He was in a coma for 11 weeks, and he never regained speech. Uh, Ed Warren was born and raised in the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut, on the tough east side. That part of the city was known as the, quote, bloody bucket because it was a frequent hangout for hoodlums and gangsters. While Ed was a boy, he lived in a haunted house from the age of five until age 12. His father, then a police officer, would explain to young Ed that the strange occurrences witnessed in the home had a logical explanation. But, of course, his dad never did come up with that logical explanation. There were times when Ed would be out playing, and if he returned to the house and no one was home, he would not enter the house. some some footsteps, pounding sounds and rapping on walls frequently in the house this frightened him but it also made him want to learn more about the types of phenomena he had encountered so when he turned 17 he enlisted in the u.s navy and served with the armed guard aboard a merchant marine ship he saw action in the pacific theater and was decorated for heroism after saving a fellow sailor from icy waters after their ship caught fire after his world war ii service ed attended art school he began painting nautical scenes country landscapes and his real passion painting haunted houses You know, portraits of them, not the the exterior or the interior. He began touring the New England states with Lorraine, seeking out haunted houses to paint. The Warrens have been the nation's top psychic researchers for over three decades and have lectured extensively at colleges and universities throughout the country. They were two of only a handful of investigators ever allowed into the infamous Amityville Horror Home and have the only pictures ever taken inside the house. So, uh, like I said, in a few minutes we will be joined by John Zaffis, who was the nephew of Ed Warren. He will share with us some of his remembrances growing up, uh, not only in the shadow of the Warrens uh, in terms of paranormal investigating, but what they were like, what it was like to have Ed Warren as his uncle. John's first book was uh, recently released, "Shadows of the Dark." He also has a new book coming out, "The Struggle Within," a true story of demonic possession. Uh, It should be out sometime in the fall. We'll have him back to talk about that then, but for now we want to talk about the the legacy and the life of Ed Warren. We appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Was was this expected or did it come out of nowhere? What's that? Uh, Ed's passing.
2: Well, um, he's been up and down for the past five years, and actually, you know, it's uh, one of those types of situations where, you know, it's, just developed and things got worse and he just ended up uh expiring so but i mean over the past five and a half years it has been touch and go with him yes
1: and uh it was one of those situations too where it's it's strange because he was bedridden for a while too wasn't he
2: well he's been bedridden since he went down over five years ago yes
1: and but at the same time it seems like a- more and more the influence of, of the Warrens has grown with a lot of these new paranormal investigative groups that have started up. So it's like his legacy has is, is really grown over the past five years, and at the same time he's been unable to get out there and, and share his knowledge.
2: Well, what you have to remember is um, Ed and Lorraine have always been very controversial, but they were always in the forefront, and my uncle would always go out on a limb bring something out to the forefront with uh, bringing the media in or exposure and all these different things. And, you know, they, they would be extremely criticized for doing these types of things. And, you know, here we are the past two years just watching what's happened with the media and all the different paranormal shows and everything. They basically laid the ground for what all of us are doing today.
1: And, and they did, and it's strange because uh, so many of these groups that you say you know they did take a lot of slack and uh, a lot of slack, and they took the slack then you know in the seventies the eighties, so that the investigators of today didn't have to
2: that's correct it's It was um, an interesting thing to watch you know over the years being around them for so many years and being involved with a lot of the different uh, cases they worked on and They took a lot of the punches Mm -hmm. and basically here again laid the path for what all of us are doing today.
1: And we had talked to you, um, I think it was in March, and I had mentioned the the remake of the Amityville Horror and the way that it seemed uh, your aunt and uncle were portrayed, even though they didn't name them uh, directly. Mm -hmm. But it did seem like they were trying to allude to the idea of them uh, being charlatans and working in cahoots with the realtor. Uh, And, you know, somebody like like that is going to be a real fly-by-night operation. They're not going to have the kind of wealth of research and and the number of cases that your aunt and uncle went on if they are just trying to scam people.
2: No, um, and I don't think they would have been successful for the amount of years that they were involved with it. You know, here again, too, you look at the big picture. uh, Did Ed and Lorraine make a living at um, the paranormal? Absolutely. They had books to their credits. They did a tremendous amount of lecturing throughout the years, and that's basically how they uh, made their income on doing these types of things. They had a museum. They ran the museum and did tours and, you know, these different types of things, and that's how they made the bulk of their living to be able to support themselves. So a lot of times over the years, you know, you sat back and you would listen to the stories, oh, well, they're, they're just doing it for fame, fortune, and money, but... A lot of us are out there today doing it. I lecture. A lot of people have TV shows out there, a lot of the different paranormal investigators. So they lecture, and we're all basically doing the same thing that they did 30 years ago.
1: That's part of the... That comes to the territory, though, of any science where you gain that type of knowledge. You do have that opportunity to go out and lecture. Uh, it's It's supplemental to your research. It's what allows you to, to be in the field and do this kind of research. Uh, so I, I personally, I don't begrudge anybody who needs to uh, draw some sort of income in, in that manner. It's, it's when they charge that it becomes a problem. They charge for an investigation. And, and Ed and Lorraine never charge for an investigation.
2: When you come into uh, people starting to put fees on doing their investigation, it, it taints it for all of us. But uh, don't get me wrong, especially today, I have no problem with somebody reimbursing me for travel expenses. Mm-hmm. But to charge an individual, a family, or anything to that degree for your services rendered, it's something in 34 years I've never done.
1: And one of the uh, claims, too, is you know, you'll find a lot of these groups will claim to actually be able to expel Uh, a spirit, if a spirit is present. Is that something that Ed and Lorraine were able to do? Did they feel that they had the ability to help a spirit move on to the other side?
2: Absolutely. Um, You have to remember, most people, when, when you speak about human spirit and you talk about ghosts, most people don't want to hear those stories. What they want to hear about are the exorcisms and the demons and people getting thrown around and everything. That's what keeps everybody's interest. But when you deal with human spirit and, you know, those types of cases, is it a situation where you can go in and be able to help the spirit to be able to cross over to bring closure? Absolutely. Have Ed and Lorraine Warren done that? Absolutely. I've been around them when they've done it many of times.
1: How did you actually get involved? I mean, at what age did you become aware of what it was that your aunt and uncle were doing uh, with their time?
2: Oh, geez, as far back as I can uh, remember. <laughs> at um, Ed's mom lived with us, and on the holidays and everything, I used, to, I used to be really psyched about them coming over to hear all the ghost stories. Did I believe it? No. I, I never experienced anything, never seen anything until I was around 16 years old. And that's when I had a sighting at the foot of my bed. It was transparent. It shook his head back and forth. And, you know, yeah, it startled me. It scared me. Ran downstairs. I was telling my mom about it. And she said, did it say or do anything? And I said, no, it just stood there and shook its head back and forth. And my mom had this very blank look on her face. And she goes, oh, that was your grandfather. And I went, what? She goes, that was your grandfather. You were too young to remember. But my father would always shake his head back and forth when something was wrong. Well, I, I, I had to take that in, and I had to give that some consideration because my mom and Ed were twins, but they were very opposite. Ed chose to go into the paranormal field. You said the word ghost in front of my mother. She would cry and run away. So they, they were completely opposite when it came into any of that type of thing. That piqued my interest. I was like, okay, there is something to all this stuff. I had this experience. I can't explain it. I don't know why, at that point in time, why that occurred, but... After getting involved with it, doing investigations, going to haunted locations, talking to people, I took it a step farther. That's when I started getting involved with investigations and really started to delve into what this was all about. And that even intrigued me even more.
1: And and I remember when we talked previously, uh, you mentioned that Ed was kind of against you getting involved in the investigations at the beginning.
2: Well, it wasn't so much the investigations per se. What he was really guarded about was the fact of me getting involved with the demonic end of it and the exorcisms and the heavier aspect of the work. And when I was in my 20s, I had said, I wanted to know if possession was for real. Never seen it, never experienced it. So therefore, I had to know. I wanted to understand it if it was for real. And... I just kept it up and kept it up until finally, you know, he gave in and said, fine, I'd rather keep you around me so I can keep an eye on you so nothing happens to you because I don't want to have to deal with my sister. Well, he sat me down, and we had this long conversation, and he just went into the depths of all the things that can happen and explained all of it to me. He goes, John, it doesn't run around with hooves and a horn. And he said, it's just not the way it works. It works behind the scenes. You know, you could have a lot of activity happen with you. You, you, It'll ruin friendships. It causes researchers to fight with each other. It causes all kinds of chaotic things to happen behind the scenes that aren't logical. And he says, you have to remember something else. The fact is that you get involved with this and you start assisting in exorcisms and things like that. It does not forget who you are, and you'll always be targeted. Well, I mean, the conversation was a lot more deeper and everything. And, you know, we got done speaking, and he turned and looked at me, and he goes, Well, what do you think, kid? And I said, No, I'm not worried about any of it. And he looked right at me with that serious look he used to have and go, I am. You are my nephew. You are my blood. I didn't think anything of it. I I just really didn't. The more I got involved with it, the more I understood it, the more I, I delve into understanding just the term. Demonology opened up a whole new world that they never even knew existed. And the more you got involved with those types of cases where you had negative or the demonic, whatever you want to call it, within the uh, influences of the homes, influencing people and causing problems where, you know, exorcisms would have to be performed, deliverances would have to be performed, then you start intermingling within the church with all different types of faiths and religions when you learn to understand these things you have to understand a lot of different belief systems and that encompasses a lot and i was fortunate because i've always been intrigued by all, all the different belief systems and understanding them um, what you have to do you know to help people out if somebody's jewish somebody's catholic you know somebody's protestant somebody's wiccan i mean these are all the things you have to encompass to learn to understand to be able to help people and the one thing I've walked away from the the understanding of it after 34 years is that no matter what a person's belief system is religion or anything you want to call it you have good you have bad we have black we have white bottom line is it might take different terms it might be something that has to be handled in a specific way but it's still the bottom line we have good we have evil.
1: And did Ed continue to be that protective of you as you went along? I mean, it, it did it seem the deeper that you got involved with demonology and with exorcisms, did it become more protective? Or was it after a while he was able to stand back and say, you know, I, I think you're starting to understand why I was concerned, and, and now I don't have to be so protective?
2: Well, there a, an interesting uh, way to look at this was that I, I, I was very typical of most, people I would think I'm very bullheaded you could tell me something ten times doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to listen to you or follow through with it on that perspective but he would tell me things and I would go "Yeah, yeah 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 and just listen you know whatever he said and then I'd be involved with the cases and you start to have activity you start to have these different types of things happen and He would basically let you go to a point, and then he would say something to you, what to look for, how to look for it, what to watch out for. And that was like a training ground, as I refer to it today. And it was almost like, you know, okay, here, fine, you want to do it, get out there, let me know what's happening, and go from there. That's the way I learned a lot of this. It was getting right out there and getting into it. And, you know, over the years, I look back on it now, and I I am extremely thankful that they were there, especially my uncle, because when there was something wrong, he knew, and he understood it, and he would try to explain it to me. And it might have taken three or four times, but he would get into it, and, you know, I walked away learning and understanding and respecting religions no matter what the perspective Uh, persons um, into satanism or devil worshiping or buddhism and roman catholics or anything you have to have a respect for people's belief systems doesn't mean you have to agree but you do have to have a respect for what people do believe in
1: well i know that uh, over the years didn't uh, ed work very closely with uh, bishop robert mckenna
2: absolutely many, many years. Bishop McKenna is, uh, oh gosh, someone that's been integrated for, gosh, got to be at least 25 years that I've known him, if not more, and he assisted and was involved with a lot of Ed and Lorraine's cases, quite a few of them. Bishop McKenna is one of those types of people that he is so down to earth, and even though he is traditional old Roman Catholic, he believes in the old ways, he would never turn his back on trying to help a person, Mm -hmm. because he would always say, it didn't matter their faith or what their belief system was, he goes, that goes against Christianity if you don't try to help somebody. And that's something that is very rare, and it's hard to find with a lot of your different clergy, no matter what the religion is.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it did work out pretty well, too, that they were just geographically relatively close to each other as well, right?
2: Absolutely. They're all within um, five minutes of each
1: other. So it it might be a little bit of uh, the guiding hand of fate in that respect.
2: I couldn't agree more with you on that one.
1: (laughs) And now, uh, in addition to all that Ed Warren taught you uh, growing up and, and working with him, He also trained countless other investigators uh, who are out there, and they they use a lot of the same methodology and the the principles that that Ed and Lorraine Warren used. Do you feel like maybe you had that extra connection because you were a family in his teaching, or did you see a similar teaching style with all these other investigators that that he brought along?
2: There are a lot of the investigators that um, Ed has trained. They're very, very good at what they do um some of them we communicate there's a couple that you know my uncle changed uh trained oh gosh 25 years ago and we still remain good friends but there are several of the paranormal investigators out there that have studied the demonology um, under the warrens under ed specifically and today they assist they help families and they've been absolutely uh, th- the best thing i could say is that they do what they do and they're very good at what they do
1: and uh as time progressed i mean at, at what point was he able to no longer be out in the field uh i mean were they still investigating until he was uh, in failing health or did they kind of take a step back and become more in the lecture circuit
2: no oh gosh they were uh um it's like i said it's a little over five years ago when um Ed actually went down, and that morning, we were together just discussing three cases that I was just getting ready to go investigate for them. So right up to that moment when Ed went down, he was still very much involved with the work. They just had gotten back, actually, from England from doing an investigation. And, you know, uh, today, five years later, Lorraine still lectures, and, you know, she's still doing investigations, and she's still pretty active with carrying on the work that, her and her husband did.
1: And, and they were married for 61 years?
2: Yeah, 61 I mean, years it. they've been married. Yeah.
1: It was definitely a partnership that went beyond just the paranormal. I mean, it's, you, you couldn't find two people that would work together better than they could.
2: Well, that's true. That's true.
1: Is, is there Was there any time uh, where maybe they thought that their investigation of the paranormal had a, a negative effect on their marriage or just their regular lives, or were they always able to keep a nice balance?
2: That's a, a, a tough thing for anybody to be able to do. You know, we have normal things that have nothing to do with the paranormal with our lives, mm-hmm. husbands, wives, kids, everything. I mean, the, those are all just normal things that occur in life. I feel um, with the knowledge that they gained and what they did over the years, basically they had an understanding of what to look for if there was an influence that could have been uh, affecting something. I would look at it from that perspective more so than anything well,
1: else. That's exactly what I mean, is because going up against these demons, uh, one of the first things that a demon would want to attack is is their union, their partnership, and to, to put doubt in each other's mind about the other. I would assume, I mean, that, that would be their MO.
2: Well, it, it, it depends on your circumstances. What you have to remember is the more you get involved with this work, the more intense an attack would be. So, you know, they're going to step it up even farther where they're going to take it beyond your average type of things to be able to stop you from doing the work. So, I mean, it it goes beyond that with the amount of years I feel that they've uh, actually been in the work.
1: And he actually started, Ed actually began his uh, investigative career uh, because he was out looking for haunted houses to paint, is that...?
2: No, his um, interest uh, goes uh, farther back when... It was just a child, and uh, the house that him and my mom and their brother grew up in was a haunted house, Mm -hmm. and they had some major experiences. And what was unique about the three kids is my mom walked away being petrified of the paranormal. Their brother did not believe in any of it, and Ed pursued it as a career
1: but he he was also a painter as well Uh, just from his biography on on warrens.net it said said that he did travel around and he painted haunted houses is that something that he continued even as he became more of an investigator
2: absolutely I I can tell you right now he painted right up to pretty much the end there because when I would go up the house he would still be uh, doing some of his paintings on the uh, wood he's very well known for that I mean, that's basically how they got started was they'd go to different locations and they'd look for haunted houses and Ed would paint them and they'd knock on the door present it to the people and that's how they would get in to be able to do their investigations.
1: And uh, uh, we have a question here from from Matt Moniz. Uh, Well, he said that their faith in God and in each other is what kept them together. Uh, Do you think that that is a strong reason why they lasted 61 years?
2: Well, that that's a tough thing to say. Why somebody lasts, you know, the amount of years, I mean... But, I
1: mean, with your own faith, you, you know what a weapon it is for you uh, when you're going up against uh, demonic forces and negative forces. Uh, do you think that maybe the combined union and the fact that, you know, they were together in the eyes of God, that that just amplified it? It could have, yeah. It could have. And uh, one of the other questions, too, that uh, a lot of people don't realize about the Warrens is that their caseload goes well beyond just Amityville. I mean, to the common person who hears the name Ed Warren, even the, uh, the lovely article written by Carolyn Moreau in the Hartford Current, you know, it, it focuses on the Amityville horror. That was such a major part of their notoriety. Um, was there a point maybe uh, where as some of the negative uh, press that came toward George Lutz did any of that start to reflect on them, and maybe they thought they'd step back a little bit from that case, or?
2: No, I, I don't uh, feel that was the type of si- that was the type of situation at all. You have to remember Amityville. None of us can explain why Amity turned into what it did. Mm-hmm. I mean, that thing, that that case is just known worldwide. You can go anywhere and you say the word Amityville, and Kathy and George Lutz come up. I think it was the timing and just the way that all of it fell into place, that that's what made Ed and Lorraine so famous. I mean, over the years, they've had cases that, you know, were twice or on a higher scale, if you will, in comparison to what Amityville was all about. Mm-hmm. But was the notoriety there like it was with uh, Amityville? No. So it, it's just one of those types of things. That's what put Ed and Lorraine on the map as far as being paranormal investigators was amityville
1: and i I know the claim is that jay anson's book kind of uh, you know it took a poetic license with some of the instances that happened in the in the actual house but in terms of what ed and lorraine shared with you uh, how true is the american mythology of amityville compared to what actually went on in the home
2: Well, i can tell you this can go as far back as did I do or was I involved with the original investigation? No. Mm-hmm. But being the type of person I was and them being my family, I was always back and forth up their house. One thing my uncle was very well known for was listening to his his reel-to-reels, his cassette tapes, and his videotapes. Well, back then, it was cassette tapes. And he would always say, John, come listen to this, come listen to this. I was sitting down listening to Kathy and George Lutz, their interview, what they went through, what happened in that house before the books or before the movies. And I can tell you this, several years back I had an opportunity to lecture with George Lutz at a couple of different conventions and things and a couple of universities. And sitting down talking to George, having coffee and and just beep-bopping, listening to what, george would talk about and the things that occurred in that house were almost identical to things i heard 30 years prior on those tapes so is amityville based off of what i feel was a haunted house absolutely do i feel that the books and the movies have embellished upon it absolutely why do they embellish if they don't people aren't going to go watch those movies or they're not going to read those books I mean, let's
1: face it, for, uh, you know, even a tenth of that phenomena that uh, was said to have happened in that house to have happened to any one of us uh, in their position, you know, that'd be enough for us. That'd be scary enough for us. We wouldn't need to embellish it ourselves. We wouldn't need to make it seem like it was more than it was. So I think that any, any of that embellishment, as you said, probably came after um, they had done their initial interviews and, you know, once they spoke with Jay Anson about what went on, he's probably the one that's more responsible for some of those embellishments.
2: Well, here again, this happens time and time again with cases. Mm -hmm. You know, the the original phenomena that takes place in a lot of these cases, to me, is substantial enough to really warrant if you want to do a book or do a movie on it. But people will always take it a step farther and embellish upon it, yes.
1: It's just human nature, I think. Yes. And so... As the years progressed and and as Ed was less able to, uh, basically, to get around, would investigators still come to him and and present some of this information to him and and try to get his opinion? Was he still working as an advisor?
2: Absolutely, right up to the end. And
1: and how frustrating must it have been to see him, you know, dealing with it from that end of it? You know he wanted to get up and and go out there and, and... take the, the demons on head on, but he has to sit there and, you know, hope and pray while the investigator is gone that they come back safely. It must be I, I, don't, to...
2: I, I don't feel that it was a, a type of situation that it was, you know, so much that he wasn't out there investigating as much as he would allow investigators to go out and do it so they can experience things and mm-hmm. learn things, learn how to document them what to look for and there were many of us you know right up to uh before his collapse that you know we were all working on different cases and different things and you would go back review things sit down with him and lorraine and go over it and you know they'd share on what they feel you should do and what you shouldn't do to try and help those families i mean that that was an ongoing thing with ed uh you know right up to his collapse and you know, even today, uh, Lorraine still ties in and intermingles with a lot of the different organizations out there.
1: Well, it must be like family at this point, really. Yeah, yeah. Was there any one particular case that you can recall um, investigating with Ed that just stands out in your mind, whether it be for the intensity of it or just for his approach? Is there is there anything that will always stick with you?
2: Oh, there's many. There, it, it depends on your uh, cases and what type of the situations are what occurred what happened who was involved mm-hmm. but it's usually you're more prominent in your more uh, heavy duty type cases that stay with you as clear as as if they happened the day before I mean the haunted funeral parlor in uh, Southington Connecticut I mean that's 18 years ago that I was involved with that investigation and that case stays in my mind as if it was yesterday. I mean, that was my first actual encounter ever seeing a materialization of a demon. And,
1: and what exactly happened for those who might be unfamiliar?
2: The uh, Basically, I was sitting down and uh, documenting the events that had transpired and took place and got up from the table, walked out into the hallway and looked up a staircase and seen something actually starting to form. and. It was very transparent, very gross-looking, and it started descending down the staircase. Well, that scared the, the heck out of me. It made me stop and think. But I fled that night. Now, my whole thing in my mind 18 years ago was that thing materialized and appeared to me. What in the world was happening at my house with my wife and my three little kids? That's what I was more scared of than anything else. I came home, you know, I got home very fast, everybody was sound asleep, there was no problems. But I had made a decision that night, I no longer wanted to do this work. I did not want to be involved with it, it just wasn't worth it. But a very good friend of ours, and we just discussed him, Bishop McKenna, um, called and we were talking and I explained everything to him and I told him I no longer wanted to do it. And he goes, are you going to let it win? And once he threw that at me, that made me stop and think and say... No, I will not let anything win from stopping. You know, and helping people. So I did go back into that house three days later. Was I scared? Heck yeah! I didn't know what to. Ex- I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going to end up occurring. What was going to happen? You just never know with those types of situations. So those are the. Those are the the, the types of things that stand out in my mind the different types of cases, the intensity, the, the exorcisms, um, seeing what these people go through, dealing with clergy, uh, families, all, all these different things that I was fortunate enough to be able to be exposed to have taught me and a lot of other researchers out there an understanding of what to look for to be able to help people.
1: And uh, it, it seems like your phone is probably ringing off the hook, so uh, we don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, what do you feel will be the, or what do you hope will be the lasting impact of, of Ed Warren on the paranormal community?
2: Well, the, the lasting impact uh, is a legacy that has been left behind with him sharing so much of his knowledge and intermingling with so many of us out there in the field today. And it feels good to have other researchers and other people say to me, John, I remember when your uncle was talking about this and your uncle talked about that because I was able to use that information to be able to help me on different cases. He left a mark, and he left that mark and left a lot of that knowledge with a lot of us out there in the field today to be able to help other people. His legacy will always be there, and it will always continue with the knowledge on being able to help people.
1: All right, well, uh, again, we offer our sincere condolences to you and to Lorraine and, and to the entire family. Uh, one question I do have, is there going to be any kind of uh, fund set up for people to make donations? Uh, you know, people would like to, is there a charity that Ed and Lorraine support?
2: Yes, there is. It's um, the Animal um, Foundation. It's in Monroe Connecticut. Unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me. Hopefully, um, they'll be having some of that information posted up on the website. I know Mike Roberge was handling it. He put information up today, and he should be putting some more information up there shortly as Lorraine gives it to him.
1: And we'll keep a link up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. And uh, so just, you know, God be with you all, and uh, we hope that you can get through this tough time. And and remember the lasting impact of, of what Ed brought to you not only as a as a mentor in the investigative field, but you know it's more importantly he was a family member and he was a close family member, and I think that's what a lot of people might uh, forget uh, as as a famous person in any field passes on.
2: Yeah, that's that's um that's very very true, and you know you don't realize the impact. You know I grew up around them, I was always around them, so I never really looked at it from the perspective of Seeing them as outside of my aunt and uncle, but with the passing of my uncle and hearing over the past two days from so many people from over the years that we've all worked with and integrated, it's just been amazing The, the between yesterday and today, the phone calls that have been coming in. As you can tell, my phone keeps <laughs> beeping uh, with people calling in. It's just phenomenal the impact that he's leaving behind.
1: uh, John Zaffis, uh, and as you heard, he was getting many phone calls uh, to offer condolences and to to offer support. Uh, Again, he makes himself very accessible to a lot of the paranormal investigators around the world, and they seek his counsel all the time, so now they're probably just trying to repay the favor and and try to lend him an ear uh, if if he needs it. But uh, if you want to find more out about John Zaffis, if you want to see some of his... Uh, most famous cases. If you want to see some pictures from his paranormal museum, you can go to his website, prsne.com. That stands for Paranormal Research Society of New England, prsne.com. You can learn a little bit more about John and about some of his projects. And if you want to learn more about the Warrens, it is uh, warrens.net, w-a-r-r-e-n-s.net. So um, I personally never had the opportunity to meet Ed Warren. I just knew of him from a young age. Uh, I read it maybe three or four times in a row, uh, just trying to pick up all these little incidences and all these little nuances of the story. And then when I saw the movie for the first time, the original film, it just you know it blew me away that this case could could even have happened. So when I saw the remake uh, that came out in two thousand four or two thousand five. I wasn't really that impressed with the way they handled the story, but I especially was not impressed with the way they handled the Warrens themselves. They seem to be suggesting that that couple at the beginning that is uh, holding the bogus seance is the Warrens, and you know that's just a shame because that's not what they did there. That wasn't their role in the Amityville investigation. So, But as I said, I never actually had a chance to meet him. However, science advisor Matt Moniz did have a chance to meet him, and uh, so, Matt, what what was your impressions of Ed uh, when you came upon him? I mean, you must have known of his reputation prior to meeting with him.
0: Yeah, I did. Uh, I met Ed and Lorraine Warren about 15 years ago at a lecture that they gave in a uh, place out. And he was always intelligent, but he also had that aura about him of somebody that has seen a lot of things. And when I mean seen a lot of things, I mean... Things that most people are not used to seeing and when he spoke about what he had seen you could tell just in the tone of his voice the way he carried himself that these experiences touched him to his core and the way he related it to the people came across like you felt what he was feeling when he was was, was relating it which for me you know Fifteen years ago, it made a pretty good impact. He was definitely uh, very knowledgeable when he spoke about the topics that he was speaking about. When he, uh, he would go into case histories, he would give you the thorough background as best he could, without you know revealing any private details of the people and stuff like that. But the salient points of the case, he was very meticulous about what brought him to this conclusion or that conclusion. How he went and investigated out all of the little possibilities. Every little detail came across, and he was able to tie it all together so well, it was easy to follow. Uh, his wife, Lorraine, was an excellent speaker as well, and you could tell that they had a beautiful relationship between each other. They, it was very symbiotic. He would start a sentence, she would finish it, she would start a sentence, he would finish it, and they worked in a concert. And... uh I found that very impressive, because they had a connection to themselves and to each opinion. Definitely had a handle on what they were doing. I mean, they may not always, you know, done things what we would call the right way now, but they were they were doing what they could with what they knew at that time. Things have progressed because of them, and because of the work that they did, because of the excellent work they did, and because of the mistakes they made. Because they learned from them, and they taught other people not to make these same mistakes.
1: Well, they had a different type of approach than the paranormal investigators of today. I mean, they weren't really – they didn't have a lot of the technology that we have today because, you know, where uh, even something as simple as an EMF detector is very common now. Uh, you know, back then it was harder to get your hands on a lot of this equipment. It cost money, and we not charging for an investigation. Money was kind of short to come by. So they relied more on uh, – just their own smarts more than anything else, their own uh, feelings, their own intuition, and as well as the wealth of knowledge that they gained from constantly, constantly studying the subject, whether it be investigating, you know, claims of poltergeist activity or spirit activity, all the way down to the demonic, I mean, it must have got to the point where even these demons were like, "Uh uh-oh, here comes Ed, we're in trouble now. So, I mean, they they one of the first things that you tell a group that's starting out these days is, and we hear it all the time from the groups that we talk to, the most important thing to do is to learn the research end of it, to get into the library, to to look into the history of things, and to read about other paranormal investigations, other cases, what has come before you, and really study up on it. And I think they were kind of like in the forefront of that because, you know, at the same time, though, there wasn't a lot of other cases for them to study. They were kind of blazing that trail, but... They relied more so on the knowledge than the technology. And I think that might be part of the reason why people would question some of their findings or some of their determinations because they didn't have a lot of that. Like
0: I said, the the going back in time there, the equipment that you're talking about back then wasn't as readily accessible to the everyday person. Uh, you couldn't just go into your local radio shack and buy emf detector for like 20 bucks like you can today uh back then they were rather cumbersome rather expensive pieces of equipment very very technical and you had to really know what you were doing to know how to use them recording equipment was still in its infancy uh photographic equipment was still cumbersome and expensive especially not just the equipment the processing for film development and and the like but they worked with what they had and um a lot of what they did get with the equipment they had was pretty stunning. Um, in replace of like an EMF detector, Lorraine would be used for psychic abilities to track things down. It's basically a human EMF detector, if you if you will. Some people you know, do have that ability, in my opinion. Uh, I feel that uh, Lorraine definitely ha- shares some aspect of that particular phenomenon and that's what helped her and ed uh do what they've done um they they helped a lot of people as a matter of fact um my ex-wife was helped by ed and lorraine my uh, ex-wife is from bridgeport and uh they had a uh a very serious uh entity problem in the home that they were in uh all kinds of strange noises Things flying about, uh, and this was verified by um, my ex-mother-in-law, that, yeah, all of this stuff did happen. Uh, my ex-wife had been, quote-unquote, attacked by whatever it was that was in the house. Uh, and uh, Ed and Lorraine were kind enough to put her in contact with um, the appropriate people and were able to help basically help that family out. So, like I said, they've affected somewhat in my life well not just meeting them but I know from first hand experience that they they have done a
1: good job so there you have it uh, some remembrances of the life and legacy of Ed Warren a pioneer in investigating the paranormal and the demonic and uh, you know I have to agree with John I'm, I'm sure you know his legacy will be felt for a long time not only because of those he specifically and individually instructed but the fact that they're going to take his methods and his teachings and pass it on to others, and that's you know that's the sign of good teaching, is that what they had to say lasts and is, is worthy enough to be passed on to the next uh, generation. Next week we will return live to the WBSM studios. We will be on the air and ready to take your calls and find out about all the paranormal happenings in your life that we may have missed over the last two weeks. Uh, And remember, every episode will also be podcast. So for the silent assassin, Matt Costa, for science advisor, Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular, everybody.
0: Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy. And what you have just heard was not fiction. Although in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's all over now. It seems, or at least until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does. It.